Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, folks. This is Kimberly Jessica reporting in live from Hollywood, California, and we are doing a podcast for Huffington Post, and I'm super excited today because... I have some amazing human beings on the line with me, and, you know, this this podcast, this um, radio show is extremely important. It's important to me because I have some amazing human beings on the phone that not only are they bringing comics to the world, but they're bringing comics to San Diego Comic Con. In addition to this, uh, this is this is a this is a, a personal thing for me as well, and I'll get into that later because right now this this uh, this podcast and this interview is about them and what they're doing, and I'm just really excited because comics is the way that I learned. It's my learning my, my learning modality on how my my brain works, and so I'm just really excited that I have. Some folks on the line that are uh, they're 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 coming to uh, San Diego Comic Con, which is the biggest comic festival in the world, and they uh, run a niche comic um, uh, company that is focusing comics for gender and racial equality. So, I without further ado, I want to introduce the founder and CEO of Women in Comics, Regine Sawyer on the line with us, visiting California all the way from New York, and I'm really excited because we also have Ray Felix on the line with us as well. He's the guy that's in Women in Comics. So without further ado, Regine and Felix, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. So you know I want to hear both your stories. Uh, You know, we're going to go for about 30 minutes. I want to hear both your stories. I want to hear how you started. Just tell me everything because this is so exciting. So, you know, jump in and, and share with us what brought you to a place where you knew that you wanted to start working in comics. Tell us the story. Well, I actually love loved comic books since I was um, a little girl. Um, my brother would read the my brother and I would read comic books together, and we would watch the Hulk and the Great American Hero. And my father would read the Sunday Sundays to me. And then as I grew older, I just started to love the medium even more so. And um, I got into mainstream comics um, like X Men, and I, I liked Archie too. And as I went along, I realized I want to make my own characters. So I started drawing my characters and started writing stories for them up through high school, and I sort of put it to the side once I got to college because it's like, oh, my God, I need a real job, right? So, <laughs> so um, uh, after college, graduated and started my other career as um, a, corporate, a corporate food service manager. So I've been in corporate food service for about 12 years, but at that point, I was in it for about two to three years, and something hit me. Something said to me, like, Regine, you really need to um, uh, um, – get this comic book stuff started. So I started working for an independent company. I have a 
um, editor, a managing editor, and I would edit scripts. I would even transcribe his uh, the owner's hand hand transcribe scripts. I would review submissions. Um, I would get tables at conventions. I would do marketing and all that great stuff. And I was with that company for a good year and a half before I said, you know what, I can do this for myself. So Lock It Down Productions was established in late 2007, and we've still been going strong. Um, and then about four years ago, um, Ray, Ray Felix, who is um, the founder, coordinator, extraordinaire, organizer of Bronx Heroes Comic Con, as well as a fellow comic book producer, and he said, well, why don't you do um, a women in comics panel at Bronx Heroes Comic Con? I'm like, what? Are you serious? Me? He's like, yeah, you'll be great. So we did this um, uh, panel discussion, and the response from the audience was amazing, as well as from the panelists. Like, as women, a lot of them felt like, wow, someone really cared about what I had to say about this industry. And it's like, yeah, people, people do care about what we have to say. So from there, we started doing more panel discussions and more workshops, and um, we do art shows. And then one day, Ray and I were having lunch, and he's like, why don't you do a Women in Comics Con? I'm like, really? You think people will come? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So we had our first Women in Comics Con last year in the Bronx, and um, we had our second one this year, and it went wonderfully well. Um, the overall mission of Women in Comics is to, number one, promote literacy through comics, get kids and adults reading more. Um, it's also to promote women that are in the industry and highlight their merit, highlight their, their craftsmanship. Um, a lot of times in this industry, you don't get to see that because uh, it very much is a male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what we do, and that's what we've been doing for the past four years. Wow, you know, I love the fact that, you know, um, I, I just love what you've done. I mean, you, I, I, I felt your energy as you were sharing your, you know, how you got started, and it's like you took the entrepreneurial route. And, you know, there's so many comments out there, like you said, but they're not niched. And you, and I have to tell, I have to say it out loud, I don't see a lot of brown women or Latinos or Latinas in comics. It is not and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I could be being ignorant. I could be being ignorant right now about it. It's okay. But, they're they're, they're you sprinkled know, around, but they're not. They're not uh, major. Uh, they're not majorly uh, a norm in there, but they're sprinkled around. Well, at least for the for oh, the mainstream. Yeah. At least for, for the, the mainstream. mainstream. Exactly. Independent comics. Independent comics. You'll find uh, many women of, of color. Uh, yes, you'll find many, and in the, in the independent realm there's many. So, Ray, tell us your story. How did you get started? You know, it's, it's, I just love the way that, Ray, I have to applaud you. I mean, it's like you seem like you opened up a door um, with Regine, and, and it just kind of put the word from there. I mean, all the way here to Hollywood. This is, this is amazing. Tell us, tell us your story, Ray. Um, basically, um, after doing comic conventions for about eight years, I realized mm. I was putting money in a black hole, and it wasn't really going anywhere. And I was like, why am I? giving money to these big companies that don't really represent us. We should, I know all these people in the comic conventions, all these other vendors. Uh, I should just organize my own show. And as an educator, I wanted to have a literacy component uh, in there so that to attract kids and new readers. So um, I came up with um, a gallery show called Bronx Heroes in 2008. And basically, we're just showing, and that's when I met Regine, actually. That's the first time yeah. she was one of the vendors there. And from that gallery show, that it, it also had a component of a, um, a pop-up comic book convention at Hostos College. 
And from there, it just, I was like, hey, I could do this every year. This was kind of painless. And they started growing and growing and growing. So we went, moved from a host of college to two years there, two years in Bronx Museum uh, in the Bronx. And thanks to the Bronx Council of the Arts, uh, you know, with their support, they began to fund it when they started seeing that it was a successful venture to invest mm-hmm. in. They basically gave me uh, workshops and panels to attend, and they basically gave me the tools to teach myself how to apply for grants to fund these uh, events and also my own books and my own creativity. So now we're at the New York Library Center in Fordham Road and uh, in the Bronx. And like Regine said, you know, we kind of came up with this idea of doing women in comics, and the last two years we've been just, you know, applying for grants, trying to get funding and, uh, you know, and then also, you know, getting more vendors, bringing about awareness, advertising uh, our show so that things, you know, so it, it can grow in awareness because there's a need. Women, young girls, there's a need for women to be involved in literacy and as a teacher. I see that females are left behind. They're not really invested mm-hmm. in. We, we focus more on the males. If you look at the ratio of who raises their hand more in a classroom, it's it's usually boys. And, you know, I know we have a lot of females that are more shy and timid to answer. So if you give them those more opportunities as far as being um, entrepreneurial and, and, and giving them creative outlets, because a lot of girls are just like, I'm going to be a nurse, I'm going to be a veterinarian, I'm going to be, you know, a mortician. Uh-huh. These are some of the things that they say in the Bronx, you know, based on what they see on television, like CSI or like um, – some of these shows. Uh, so they see female roles and these professional roles, which are great, but they, their their parents are always saying, well, you can't be an artist because you're not a male. You know, I see boy, boys are more, boys' parents are more supportive of, of the artistic ventures than, than male fathers and, and mothers uh, towards their daughters. So opening up that door and, you know, working with like the Cubert School and, and, and taking kids on college trips you know, especially females, like the majority of kids I always take on trips are girls, but they can see like the comic book museum, the like Society of Illustrators or the Cubert School and put them on tour. And then they end up taking those opportunities. I had my first uh, student graduated from Cubert last January and she's a comic mm. book artist now. So I think wow. you have to give those opportunities and say it's not just for boys, it's for girls. And, and it is, um, you know, let's face it, who's the number one consumer of, of products? It, it's women. So it's, it's, it's a no-brainer that, you know, if women are consumed more than men and they're the fashion, all the trends are surrounded by women, why wouldn't the comic book industry or why wouldn't, you know, the creative outlets of art? So that's what we're trying to create. Wow, wow. And, you know, I love the fact, again, I had no idea of your story, Jane. No idea, and I love the fact that you and Regine talk about the educational component. Do you know that that's not something that's really focused on? Did you realize that? Oh, yes, I know that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not even in schools is it really focused on. I think literacy and comics and art is a major factor in, in understanding the world around you and understanding yourself. You know, everyone needs a creative outlet, like Regine's a writer. And she writes these amazing stories, these amazing sci-fi stories. She, she's amazing, you know. And I, I'm, I'm loving the fact that, you know, you're, you're using your comic, you know, educational piece 
to help kids tap into their inner comic person. That's huge. You know, so you're helping them find areas within themselves where they want to get into the industry because, you know, you're so right when I say to you, when you say to me um, that, it, you know, art is not um, promoted in school. In the 90s, I was in the Navy, and I had the opportunity to work with Robert yeah. De Niro. Ooh. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So um, I started, as a result of the military was how I got in PR. So when I went back east after working in the entertainment industry, I lived in Malibu. I was, you know, I was a young girl too. I mean, I'm, I'm not old now, but I was a young girl, and I lived in Malibu. I lived on the beach in Malibu. Um, I was, you know, I was in the Navy, but I was also working. You know, I did some work with Robert De Niro. That's how I, you know, on the movie The Fan, and uh, with him and Wesley Snipes. And you know, I I also was was looking to become an LAPD officer. Those are little fun little facts that people don't know about me, that I was literally going to become a cop. I was going to become LAPD at one point. And I love the entertainment industry. And I remember going back east, and I went to law school for a bit. I dropped out, of course. And when I started working in the school, I still had contacts to television. So while I'm on my lunch break at school, I'm getting phone calls from editors in New York to uh, get to, to get people for the Tiger Bank show, not editors, but producers. So I was all through that time, as I'm working as a teacher in the school, I'm still putting people on Tyra Bank show and on Mike and Juliet's show. I was So the, I never completely left the entertainment industry. I remember taking time off because at one point I had a story that Tyra wanted my, with my business partner, and I Tyra flew me into New York, and I ended up on her show. Um, and then they, another – group of people flew me into New York and I ended up on the Mike and Juliet show. And I remember I just, I used to do, I was the morning show girl. And my point in saying this is, going back to what you and Jay said. That's right. <laughs> art, art is not promoted in the schools. When I was working with the kids, and I'm going to say this and I'll get back to you guys, but you said something that was profound to me. When I was working with the kids, they probably had an art class and some gym and some music, like, you know, playing the clarinet and the bass, you know, and the, and, and, and the violin and stuff. I would have been even happier if they had a bass, a, a, guitar, a guitar class. But art is not promoted. And when I was teaching those kids and I said, you could grow up and work for Vogue. You could grow up and become a star. You could. They looked at me. Those kids thought that that was just totally far out. They were like, huh? That's not a real job. And that's not, you know, that's not real. It wasn't real to them. It seems And I'm here to it, it exactly for what you were it wasn't and I feel that, you know, the schools a lot of times make the kids feel dumb because they want to be in the arts. They know I don't want to be a mathematician. My learning disability was in math. I can count money all day, don't get me wrong. But I still am trying to figure out <laughs> where am I gonna use algebra because I don't use it. I could be wrong, but I don't see it. I don't see my child trying to figure out the square pie. I don't see that happening. So I like the fact that you guys you know, are talking about this, and, 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 and because this needs to be a conversation, Jay and Regine. I'm sorry, I'm off my soapbox, but I get passionate about no, it. No, it, it's okay. I mean, what's interesting is is that I think that the reason why schools don't concentrate on it is um, there's, they think it's frivolous. I mean, that's number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, you know, at home, parents, especially parents of color, 
especially parents that come on, they are scared to death that you are not going to make anything of yourself. And they're like, okay, you're sitting here in the corner drawing, like, that's not going to make you money. And, mm-hmm. they, and, they, and they freak out. And when I say freak out, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen the concerned looks on parents' faces when they do try to be supportive and bring their child to a convention, and they're just like, look, is my kid going to be okay? Can my kid really make a living? Like, I, I've had those questions multiple times, and yes, they can. I said, why don't you come to our panel discussion, and we'll, we're talking about our profession. And they come to the panel discussion, and there have been parents who have been in tears, like, oh, my God, I was so discouraging to them, and then I, then you, you told me to come to this panel, and now I know that they can, they can make something of themselves with this art thing. It's like, yeah, they can. Don't discourage them. Don't discourage them. Comics can save lives, believe me. You know, yeah, the I, thing with that, go ahead, Shane. No, I was, I was saying that, uh, I was saying that, um, I've spoken to, to moms about um, getting their daughters into the art world because they're like, oh, she's very talented, but maybe she should have a backup plan, a plan B. I was like, no, you should. Your plan A is your plan B. Just do what you want. Go for it. And, of course, you know, you need to survive and eat as well. But you're, you're, if you're going to – most people say, I have a plan B, and then you focus on plan B, becomes your number one plan, and then you mm-hmm. never go on to living that dream or moving into that dream. You have to – you know, as a young person, you know, I mean, I became a father at a young age. I, I became a father to, to an autistic daughter at age 20. So I didn't have the opportunity. I have my plan B became my plan A. But if you don't have, if you're a young kid and you just fresh out of high school and you're in college, you should be fearless. You should, you know, make the most of of your 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 dream and those careers and not be afraid. There's nothing stopping you. The only one that stops you is yourself. So I always say, forget about plan B. Just go plan A, and and you know, live your dreams. Um, and those who do it will achieve it. And you know that that's so true. You, you're right when you said your plan. Your plan when you get that plan B, that's all you end up focusing on, and then you miss out on your plan A. And you know, I I have to say, and I've never said this out loud, but I lived a lie growing up. I made everyone think that, mind you, I knew from the time I was 14 years old, and I was an eighth teenager. I knew from the time I was 14 years old listening to Tears for Fears and Mr. Mr. and Pet Shop Boys that I wanted to be a star in Hollywood. I knew from the time I was 14 years old that I wanted to live in California. I knew that. I knew from the time I was 14 years old that I wanted to work in the news and entertainment. But I lied and told everyone, you ready for this, that I wanted to be a nurse, that I wanted to go to nursing school, that I wanted to be a social worker because it was acceptable. What you want to be they wanted to hear. So secretly, I was living a double life, and I never felt confident or safe to share with the adults in my life or the peers around me that I really wanted to be in the, in, 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 in the celebrity world. And the one right. time I did say that, I was called ugly and told that I, was ne- I would never make it. I'm not pretty. You know, it was unbelievable. So I hmm. never told a soul. And then when I finally moved back to California in 08, and they saw me on the news interviewing celebs. They, I did a stint on Operation Repo, and they, everybody swore my car was repossessed on TV. That was even funny. But people looked at me and said, 
you never told me that you wanted to do this, so you never cared to find out more about me. You never took the time to get to know me. You never took the time to get to know me. You never took the time to get to know what made me tick. So, no, you weren't going to know what I wanted to do. So, again, I'm so glad that you guys are on the forefront. I wish I had you guys in my life when I was younger, when I was a little girl, because I would have probably been a lot farther with a with a regime and a and a and a and a, and a Jay in my life. I would have been so much farther, you know. So, I applaud you guys again. Thank you. It's Ray, Ray Felix. I'm sorry, Ray, Ray. I'm sorry, not Jay, Ray. Um, yeah, I, I apologize. Yeah, I don't want anyone butchering my name. But I got so passionate, it's like I called them Jay. You can call me Ray. You remember that commercial from when we were kids? You know? <laughs> the gum. <laughs> so, what's next for you guys? Can you tell us what's next? Well, this week is um, San Diego Comic Con week, and um, we have um, congrats. Several events, several events going on this week. Um, we have a panel discussion at Simeo Comic Con on Thursday. So if anyone's um, going to the con, our panel is Women of Color in Comics. It's at 5 p.m. in room 25 ABC. Um, we have um, a cocktails and comics meet and greet party on Friday. Um, right now, um, our CPs are sold out. <laughs> Um, but we're going to have fun with that. So that's Friday night. And then Sunday afternoon, we're doing another um, library, San Diego library panel. We had one yesterday. So we have a second one going on in El Barrio Logan, um, and that's about a mile away from the convention center, and that's happening at 1 p.m. And then um, there's some other um, conventions that we're going to over the next few months. Um, you can definitely check them out on our website. We have a full event page, and that's www.womeninincomicscollective.org. I have books coming out from my um, my company, Lock It Down Productions, and you can check those out, of course, um, at www.lockit.com. That's amazing. I have a female protagonist book uh called Mawa, the Keeper of the Unk, which you can find online at my www.aworldwithoutsuperheroes.com. It's like a post-apocalyptic story with a female protagonist, and uh, she's, it's basically a, a world of a, a matriarchal system versus a patriarchal system uh, through the guise of sci-fi. And I also have uh, a character uh, in my new book called Poe is the Raven, uh, and Poe is the Raven is a story about Edgar Allan Poe in the Bronx. He's the latest Bronx hero. And it's a, and there's another female character called the Sparrow. So it's a, it's a superhero story within the real life story of Edgar Allan Poe and about the many women that he was involved with after the death of his wife. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so and it's edited by Fawad Khan. So. Uh, it's a, wow. those are the and these books. are and these are comics. These are comics. These are comic books that are coming out. Yes. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. And so, have, so are any of you looking at turning some of your comics into uh, any form any form of animation? Because that's you know that's up my alley. Where that's basically what I've done with my comics is turn them into basically I've turned my comics into animated films, scripts, shorts. It's funny that you say that. It's funny that you say that because the Edgar Allan Poe, I'm actually starting to develop a proposal for Cartoon Network to try to pitch it this week at Comic-Con. So 
um, that we're trying to do with Edgar Allan Poe. And, 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 and so it's the raven and the sparrow that's the superhero that he is. And um, we're also making action figures of the Bronx Heroes characters that will be available on Shapeways.com in the fall. So we're doing, like, figurines wow. of, of all the Bronx Hero uh, universe, all the characters. Who are you going through for your figurines, if, if I may ask? Oh, what? Ironically, one of my old students from eight years ago. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, he was uh, a 3D designer, an immigrant from Romania when I taught in Queens. And he is now, like, works on films. He's an animator. He does lots of stuff. He graduated from my college. I helped him get into my college, uh, the School of Visual Arts. And now that he's an adult that's married and he's in the industry, he makes 3D design jewelry and uh, female jewelry, and he also does animation cartoon shorts. Now he's designing the, the action figures for me. Wow. Now that must be pretty expensive. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm having some dolls done, too. I'm having some dolls done for my animated film. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm getting my stuff done, but I'm actually getting it done overseas. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's wonderful to develop the properties um, even more so, so that the, fa- the fans can have more of a, um, a one-on-one, more of an intimate relationship with the characters and with what you're doing. So I applaud you for that as well. Yeah, and part of it also, what Regina and I are doing is also – creating characters of ethnic diversity so you know mm-hmm. people of color can identify with these characters um not just female characters but you know male characters as well and and mm-hmm. just um so that young young children young children but you know young teens children um can identify and have someone that they can look up to even though it's a fictional character you know like i grew up you know, watching Superman and Batman, and but there was nothing that really resembled my experience. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Regine would say the same. There was nothing out oh, there. Oh, absolutely. That, so it's important to create role model characters. Like uh, Muhammad X is uh, Black Power. He's he's based off of Muhammad Ali, but he's a, a fictional telling of you know aspects of his real life. But then, you know, um, his his um, political stance against the military and stuff that is emulated through him as a superhero and and telling a historical story, an American history story, but also telling a heroic story of this man who actually uh, fought against the powers that be, but in the, the guise of superheroes. So um, things like that. And I think it's important uh, for, for kids. It's very important. Yeah, because they want people to identify with someone. Like my my one of mine is um, Princess Tyler Marie, and she's from um, um, Princess El Paraíso. She's a Panamanian princess, and so it, it it has a Disney feel to it. But she's a brown girl with long pink hair, and so when you look at it, you're like, okay, so it looks like you know she could be like a a brown version of of like a Belle or Cinderella, and her guy is from another country. So it's it's also interracial, where it's like love is love. It doesn't matter, you know, if I'm brown in your light or if I, you know what I mean? It's it's about love, and it's about, you know, working together to build a better world from everyone. And, of course, the, com- the not comics, but it's a graphic novel. Of course, you know, it has pictures, and it has, you know, that those the two antagonists that, you know, 
or three that want to destroy the peace in the kingdom and all that. So, you know, it, it's wonderful that, you know, we're all creating content that, you know, our kids can, you know, relate to. And now the challenge is, I'm going to ask a million-dollar question to both of you, and please answer mm-hmm. the best you can. Have you found obstacles in trying to bring this to the mainstream, mainstream and joint venturing with the bigger medium, a.k.a. TV, a.k.a., you know, getting it into places like Marvel um, or DC or, you know, have you found, what are, have you found any challenges in that area? Well, when I started, um, I submitted my, I started submitting my work. Um, I started, I started independent publishing it still, but I started submitting it to various different companies and there was, there was little to no response. Um, not only would I mail them in, I would take take them physically to conventions and give copies um, to editors and such. And I didn't hear hear much back. So once once that started happening, I just said, you know what? What I was trying to do is excuse me, excuse me, is concentrate on my brand and building it, and um, find my my own distributors, um, find uh, my own stores. To put um, to put the books in and so forth. Um, I haven't necessarily given up on it, um, but I think in terms of my properties and my work, I think I'd prefer to publish them myself. Um, perhaps I would freelance and work for for, another, for other other companies and produce the books that they that they have. But for my work, I think at least for now, I'm keeping it indie. You're going to keep it in the – you want to have more control over the product, basically. Yes. yes. Yeah, I would say the same for myself because just like Regine, and I started out the same way, showing portfolios to different people, different art samples. Um, and then one editor told me many years ago, I think it was in 1999, a convention in, in the East Haven Madison Square Garden, uh, the guy says, why don't you just make your own book and then people will come to you. So I was like, hmm. Maybe I should self-publish, and this is before self-publishing was even uh, popular. Nobody popular? Was doing it. Yeah, it wasn't popular. It wasn't a common thing. People making their own books was unheard of because you have to make thousands of copies. There was no print-on-demand back then. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so you. Would, so I ended up making my first two books and printing thousands of them, and trying to find my audience and. Uh, at first, it was slow. I mean, it was uh, realistically getting into the comic book game is not a, a profitable one. You know, it took about mm-hmm. five years before I started make, turning a profit and getting the audience and honing out what materials that I wanted to put out. So I put out different genres. So I started out with comedy, then I started out, then then I went from comedy to to action, and then superheroes, and then from superheroes I started doing social justice comics. And when it was when I started doing books that dealt with social justice and and taking on a historical aspect uh, with the Bronx Heroes is when I started getting a response of people like, wow, these are stories about people in the Bronx. And the first hero was actually a true story based on um, an African slave who escaped from New York City. It was called Runaway Slave. And it was based on a historical account of Livingston's slaves. Philip Livingston, he's written, uh, his name is on the Declaration of Independence, and mm. he was a descendant of of uh, my family. And I always asked my mom, mm. how are we related to this guy? And she would never really give me a clear answer until I asked my grandfather, and he's like, well, 
we were the children of his slaves. So he had a slave mistress. So, mm. so he had a slave mistress in Colombia, and he mm. had children. And his children, he was actually an abolitionist as well. So he opened up the first free slave church in San Andres, uh, Colombia, which still stands today. And it was my ancestors. What part of Colombia? Uh, San Andres, it's an island off the main... you got to be... No, 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 no. I'm from San Andres. Yes. I'm from San Andres. My family is from San Andres. San Andreas. That's... Yes. That's... Yeah. yeah. La Isla San Andres, Colombia. My mother's from there. My mother's family's from there. We have family. That's where we're we're all from. I'm like... You don't hear people say they're from San Andres. You have African slaves. He's... My grandfather is a historian. He's Waldwin Peterson. He's the historian of the island. And uh, he has all the ship records of all the slaves that came in uh, during slavery under the Spanish rule and the, and the Dutch. And, um, yeah, that's the, that's the history of Colombia. That's why many people in San Andreas have Dutch last names, some Irish last names. Not all of them have traditional Spanish names, even though it was No, they don't. Spain. Yeah, exactly. Because even though Spain owned the island, it was managed by the Dutch. Uh, mm-hmm. And the first Dutch, the, the first. And you know, Colombia used to be Panama. It used to be Panama, Colombia. I think Venezuela, and I think it's Venezuela or Ecuador. It was. It was like the. It was the. Um, I forget. It was. It was. It wasn't. Uh, it was the. I forgot. It was. It was Colombia. It was. It used to be Panama. I think Venezuela and Uruguay. I'm not. I don't remember exactly which other country besides Panama and Colombia. Could it be, I don't remember, but. It was, um, oh, God, it was like, it was Colombia, but it was called something else, too. Right. Um, yeah. 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 I think it was Providence Island. I think it was the original, uh, the original. Providencia. Providencia. Yeah. And, yes. uh, that's when the, the sea flower had come. Like, you know, America had the Mayflower, they had the sea flower. And the sea flower was the ship that, that brought over Christianity and started, uh, teaching the slaves about Christianity, and then they built the ship. And slavery ended, I believe, 50 or 75 years before America in those islands. And uh, mm-hmm. so Livingston, after his wife had died, he had children, and there was a Spanish a Spanish decree where they had to adopt their slave wives. Uh, they mm-hmm. didn't call it marriage because they were slaves, but they had to give their wives their names if they had children with those slaves. So is that in your book too? That's that's in the history book. That's on chap book two is what I'm working on for for runaway slaves. Oh, and so all of that all of that's going to be in book two. Yes, it's it's working. Oh, in book cool. Two. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, because Panama separated from Colombia in 1903 when they did the treaty with the United States to build the Panama Canal, and my grandmother's family immigrated from Jamaica to Panama in yeah. 19 in the early 1900s. And she had children and children and children in Panama, never went back to Jamaica, and that's how we became Panamanian. But then she married my Colombian grandfather from San Andres. Yes. And you have a lot of Jamaicans also, Jamaicans that came over to Colombia. And that's why you have Patois and you have Spanish and you have English on the Yes. Yes. A lot of, a lot of them came from Barbados, St. Lucia, and, and Jamaica. Yes, and that's you look, at, look, how, look how comics look how comics can educate. Uh, comics is totally educating right now. And like we're having like this yeah. is a, this is a this is a panel discussion. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it ago. just was a and, – and a lot of people don't know also um, is that um, it was going to be the Nicaraguan and France Canal, and the United States made the treaty with Panama, ended up getting with the, with the agreement that it was actually 1899 because it was 100 years. They allowed the United States to be in Panama for 100 years. That's why Panama got – their liberation from the United States in 1999, and that's why they went down and got Noriega, because they felt that he was going to mess up everything that they had done to make Panama a better place. Um, so right. Panama, the United States made made the deal with the Panamanian Canal, with, the Pan, with Panama for the canal, in the agreement that Panama left Colombia. So mm. that's because it was going to be the Nicaragua Canal, not the right. Panama Canal. It was Nicaragua and France. The United States, of course, they probably they muscled the contract. But, you know, it, it, it's amazing. You know, uh, boy, we could talk on and on here. Seriously, we could, we could go on. Just, <laughs> we could. But yeah. it's important for people to know that. I mean, and yeah. when, when, when the first component, the runaway slave, the first story was more about the New York slave that escaped. Um, I just said this guy was a slave in the north. How do I connect this to my family and talking to my grandfather and, and talking to my mom about the history, the oral history that we have of slavery and, uh, and the origins of our of, – from the island, I started to compose these two separate stories. So book one is really about the main story that happens in New York, and then his wife is separated from him. So in book two, we get the wife's perspective, where you get at the very end of number one, and then book two, which um, is in progress right now, uh, we get the wife's perspective. Her name was Josephine. That was her real name. So Josephine mm. was a slave in Jamaica, and then they moved to San Andres. And I'm actually going to like try to show how um, she had this relationship with the slave owner and how they came about in having kids. And then, mm. you know, adoption slash marriage uh, years later. Um, so, I mean, because everyone is mixed on the island. I mean, yes. in America, we look at slavery as, and we have Harriet Tubman, we have these um, slave heroes of the South and liberating them from the North, but you don't really get these stories in, in Latin America. You no, stories no. Cuba, Santo Domingo. I was in Cuba, too, in 2002, and the, the, the history was amazing. It was just crazy. The history was crazy. It's, it's in a book, but no one's paying attention to it. And, mm-hmm. and we have our own slave stories uh, of these heroic people, like the first pirates. One of my ancestors was a pirate on Black Bear's ship. These were pirates. Wow. These are people that escaped slavery, you know, and they became pirates. And the, the, the term honor among thieves was not from white pirates of the Caribbean. There were black mm-hmm. pirates of the Caribbean who shared the booty whenever they attacked one of these ships that were, uh, you know, in their, their zone that they, you know, when they took cargo and, mm-hmm. and they shared it amongst each other, you know, they shared the wealth, mm-hmm. you know, and these are, these are concepts uh, that we've lost over the terms. I mean, I mean, I love Johnny Depp, but I mean, he, he's nowhere near a. Does not represent uh, what, what that he is. He doesn't represent no. it, you know, um, it no. doesn't represent anything that's in history. Um, no. No. And many people were mixed. I mean, before segregation, before Jim Crow, people were naturally mixing. And, yes, there were stigmas out there, but people did it anyway around the world. They did it anyway around the world. Like, you know, I tell people, you know, with the people that my ancestors, you know, we ended up in Panama 
and 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 Colombia. However, and my grandpa, my grandmother's father's from Nicaragua. So, but her mother is from Jamaica. So, when the African slave trade happened, we went from Africa to England, and then England to Jamaica. Wow. So, slavery was happening all over the world. I mean, England, it was England, Scotland, you know, it was that UK area, and then we ended up in Jamaica. And then from Jamaica in the 1800s, we ended up in Panama. And then from then on, we be, all became Panamanians, um, with Spanish being the first language, and uh, the English was Patois, because they still passed down the Patois from the Jamaicans. You see what I'm saying? That's so correct. We spoke, the Patois broke in English, but we spoke, we cut, we killed the Spanish. We, it was like, you know, it was, we, it was, yeah, that was our first language. And, you know, my mother is a native of the country. My mother lived in Colombia. My mother lived in Panama. I was born in Panama. Um, you know, came to the United States as a little girl. I stated Spanish is my first, it is my first language. I just learned English perfect because I went to school here and I had a, I, we were made fun of because, you know, you didn't see black Latinas back when we came, you know, they were like, oh, you sound like a Jamaican or you might be, how you know Spanish? It was like, unbelievable. <laughs> it's like, dude, you are so ignorant right now, but it's okay. You can make fun of me, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn English. I'm gonna learn it better than you. So, People don't even know who they're talking to a lot of times when they're talking to me on the phone. Unless I say a slang, then they're like, okay, she must be, you know, from the inner city. But unless I'm speaking, you know, in perfect English, you don't even know, you can't, you can't decipher who you may be talking to on the other line. I learned English perfectly because I saw also what my family went through. And of course, after my grandfather died in Colombia, my grandmother came to the United States in the 60s and she married uh, what we call a gringo puertorriqueño. He was Puerto Rican, but he was like a, a light, very, you know, he was a white Puerto Rican. And he brought her her house, he took care of her, you know, and, and that's how we all ended up coming to the United States. My grandmother was married four times. So, you know, it, it, you, what, even the conversation that we're having right now, it's amazing because this is what happened as a result of comics. We're talking about yes. comics. Exactly, yes. Comic books is what it's all about. Yeah. Comics it's brought all this Bridges gas and changes lives. Exactly. As a result of a conversation with Ray and, 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 and Regine about their next projects, it's, it's talking about comics. And so, like you guys said, you guys are my listeners – you guys have a perfect example of education and literacy right now. Right now. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, They're it's having across curriculum, arts and history and, and English and, you know, and we're talking about language. All these things are components that, you know, kids won't get by looking at YouTube and stuff like that. But you pick up a comic book and you can get a, a wealth of history of, you know, of, through adventure. So you're, you're being entertained. You're being educated, and you're looking at great artwork, and you have great writing. And I think, you know, Regine's books do that as well. I mean, her stories of sci-fi and and uh, eating vampires, um, it's like mm-hmm. they have these great historical aspects to them. Even, you know, like, like her first one, The Rippers, has a, a great video game history to it, too. Like, you know, it just like it, it, we, we, you pull from all the strands, from all strands of inspiration, from all directions, and and then people can make connections with that, and that's how you affect change. That's how we make change is by inspiring other people to to inspire themselves and to motivate them to do something they never thought that or dreamed that they could do until they pick up something that changes their life. Mm. 
Well, you know, I you want to just quickly, you know, do you have any last words, uh, Regine and, and Ray, that you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up and, and I start uploading? Well, just that, you know, again, we have a lot of things um, going on in the next few months, and uh, we're always posting on you know, social media. We're all over Twitter, Instagram, and the like. And um, while Comic-Con is, is going on, I will be attempting to Snapchat. So God bless me with that. I'm going to try to keep people up to date to see, you know, what's going on with the con, what's going up on with Women in Comics, what's going on with Lock It Down Productions, and so forth. And, yeah, check out my website, uh, lockitdown.com. Check out my books, The Rippers, Ice Witch, um, and Eating Vampires, as Ray mentioned. And, of course, the Women in Comics website, Women in Comics. Uh, collective.org. And, um, and go ahead, go ahead, Ray. 2017, uh, Regina and I will be putting together at the, uh, the New York uh, Public Library in the Bronx again, Women in Comics 3, the third annual comic convention. Uh, the date is to be announced. And uh, you can look at my website, uh, com. And for the Women in Comics info and Bronx Heroes info, bxhcc.com. Well, thank you so much, you guys. I, you guys are innovators. I'm telling you, you're blazing the path. And you know what's scary? Go ahead. No, no what's scary? You no, know, what's scary is that you guys are blazing a path, like in a good way. It's a good scary because what I was getting ready to say is that you guys have gone mainstream now. So there's no turning back. There's no turning back. You guys are now going mainstream, and the world is getting ready to know your names and what you do, and that's what I'm excited. I'm scary excited. Like, yeah, I can't wait. It's like, oh, my God. You know, it's that type of excitement that when I mean that's scary. Like, we, have to tell your, we have to tell your listeners that you're going to be on panel on Thursday. Say that one more time. Uh, uh, I said, we have to tell your listeners that you're going to be on panel at San Diego Comic Con. Oh, Thursday. yeah, well, you can tell them. You tell them. Because <laughs> this is about you. <laughs> yes, so if you're going to San Diego Comic Con and you're a big fan of Kimberly Jessica, please come down to room 25 ABC and see on the Women of Color and Comics panel. It's sure to be awesome. I'm so excited now. And, and Ray, you're there too? Ray, you're there as well? Yeah. Yeah, we'll be there. We can we can have some last and and talk. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to meet all of you. This is going to be exciting. And Regine, guys, just so you know, Regine gave me my first panel ever for comics. So she is like my hero. Seriously, she is my utter hero right now. So you know, I just again, you know, it's, it's a domino effect here. Regine doing what she's doing, what she's been doing. Um, Ray saw what she was doing, said, "Oh, come over here and do this." And before you know it, as a result, you know, it, it all ended up on Facebook, and, and here I am, and, and you're just, you, you have, you got a movement for the people. I hear Bob Marley in the background. Movement for yeah, the people. you got the movement for the people going. <laughs> but, so there's an exodus. Last night as well. Last night it was a very moving, emotional time, and in the, in the San Diego library yeah. was powerhouse. Really? Tell us a little bit about that, and then we're going to wrap up, because I love the story. we got to bring you guys back, too. <laughs> well, well, the Sydney Public Library, they're, they're super awesome. They had us do a panel for them last year, and they invited us um, back to do uh, two this year. 
So we were at the Central Public Library, and we had a wonderful audience, and many of them were just touched by what we were saying in terms of our experiences as as women, also as um, women of ethnicity and color. And there were there were tears in the audience. I'm like, oh my God, don't make me cry too. Wow. And then Ray met a woman that was asking us questions. She was um, she's a teacher and a and a mother, and she was she was she was getting emotional outside of the building about the the panel. So what we do really, you know, it matters. It matters. Being a woman in comics matters. Being a a person of ethnicity matters because they get to people get to see themselves reflected through you. Mm. You know, so it is very moving and touching, and um, I'm, I'm hoping we'll have the same experience with the other two panels this week. Oh, most wow. definitely. Wow. I think it will be. I think we'll be we're moving mountains in California. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. You are. You are moving mountains, and I'm glad I'm. I'm glad I'm a part of that mountain. I'm glad I'm. I get to just sit on the side of it and and wave my tiny little fist like puppy power and scoot. You know, I'm, I'm strappy too, so you know I'm waving my puppy power hands because I'm like, you know, we're 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 creating a movement, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. I'm glad to be part of you guys business and lives and I, I think we can we can make a huge difference. So I just want to thank you guys again for taking the time to interview with us today um, with you know, Regine from Women in in Comics and then we have Ray Felix. Um, you know, it, it, he's also part of the movement with Women in Comics and, you know, with the Bronx Comic Con. You know, Ray, Regina, uh, Regine, I just really want to thank you guys for being the, the change agents, the way showers, and the catalyst. I thank you for who you are, and I can't wait to hear, you know, um, what else is going to be coming up. And I look forward so, to meeting you guys on Thursday. I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Thank you for being a part of it. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting us on. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Placer. So, uh, <laughs> placer. So we say placer. It's my pleasure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, without further ado, thank you guys again. And uh, we look forward to talking well, to you guys soon again. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. All right, guys. Take Have care. a great day. You too. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Anyone there? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.